Well, welcome everybody to a mini episode of Alpine Intel Savvy Adjuster Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Nichols. This is a, a quick follow-up to our last episode, Plumbing Losses and Subrogation. If you haven't uh, had a chance to listen to that episode, you can find it, of course, on your favorite podcast platform. Today, I am back with the guests from that episode, professional engineer and master plumber, Adrian France, and uh, Alpine Intel's chief operations officer, David Riggs, to talk about how a product failure claim can progress through an inspection. Adrian and David, thank you again for joining us. Thank you. Thank you, Chris. So we talked a little bit about how to protect evidence and the integrity of the inspection in our main episode, but now let's really drill down about the actual process. So it starts with a policyholder; they have a failed product and files a claim. Uh, David, let's start with you. What are the first steps an adjuster should take when receiving a product failure claim? Yeah, on the earlier episode, we we talked a little bit about high level, but what I wanted to kind of do here is really break down, you know, like what, what are the decision points throughout that process? And, and what are things that our customers are often trying to uh, consider and rationalize as they move forward throughout it? And so, yeah, we, we mentioned, hey, there is a first notice of loss. Um, Policyholder has uh, interior water loss within their home. Uh, there's a water mitigation company out there. Uh, it's going to shut off the water, uh, make sure that the water gets uh, yeah, under control and, and begins the dry out process um, as it goes forward. And then, you know, as they do that, they'll, they'll begin uh, remediation efforts uh, as well to get the property back to normal as quickly as possible. The, you know, field adjusters or whatever vendors you have out or our customers have out on site, you know, they have to think about, you know, ask themselves a few different questions as it comes to product segregation. Um, you know, one of the things is, is that, you know, did this water loss originate in a product? You know, yes or no, that's kind of step number one. If it did and it, the product failed, uh, the second question is usually, um, you know, is it within 10 years old or not? Now, 10 years old is a very rough term. And the reason I say that is because some states have uh, something called the statute of repose. And so that's a legal term that basically says very rough terms. If it's beyond this age, it's really challenging or difficult. You can't really go after a manufacturer or, or and, and there's different levels, whether it's an installation or manufacturer. The manufacturer's uh, number of years is usually a little bit longer than an installer's. And so if it's beyond that, um, you know, it's gonna be challenging to pursue segregation. And so most of them are uh, 10 years-ish. Uh, the other thing too is that if the product what I call catastrophically failed. Um, and so that is, it's a water carrying device, that thing ruptured and water escaped everywhere. Products are not supposed to do that. Products can stop working. They're not supposed to catastrophically fail. And so like a good example of that is a product failure we get a lot is, is water filters, uh, say within a refrigerator or underneath your sink, or something like that. And they have a, it's a water filter canister that says, hey, you're supposed to replace that every six months or 12 months or whatever it might be. And so people are like, oh, well, we're just supposed to replace it. And you left it in there for three years or whatever it might be. Well, the product is still supposed to, per the standards associated with that design, has to withstand a certain life. Now, the optimum water filtering capabilities, you know, to filter out taste and minerals and all the water filter might get like dirty and old, but it's 
going to stop working. So it's not going to stop filtering the water as well as it did before after about six months. But it shouldn't catastrophically fail and flood your home if you forget to take it out. And so that that's a good example of, hey, did this thing catastrophically fail? Is, is it within 10 years old? Um, and one thing that people do in the field a lot is they're like, well, can I identify the manufacturer? And even if you can't, or you can, it's good to document it if you can, but if you can't and you, you send it to, uh, to get investigated, a lot of times they can figure out who the manufacturer is. Uh, they're able to look at things that are unique uh, characteristics about it and certain other aspects. Uh, our experts that we have at CTL, um, you know, let's take fire debris, for instance. If you just had something that was completely consumed uh, and it was an appliance, they can quickly look at it and based off of the how the metal is stamped, how the metal is shaped, um, different you know curvatures of the appliance and certain things like that, we can they can tell you exactly who manufactured that. Um, and then there's other just you know markings and characteristics on the appliance that allows you to, to figure out what that is. And so you know determining the manufacturer is is important, uh, but it's not necessarily critical at that step. Um, and so those are things that the people on site should be considering um, and, and or the, the desk adjuster be considering is like, hey, is this something that we want to pursue uh, an investigation on or not? In either scenario, whether you have a small product or a larger product, um, the component testing lab has also created Lost Logistics, which is their in-house uh, logistics shipping uh, service that can handle the small shipments of those for you, maybe using uh, traceable means, uh, or they'll do the shipments themselves in which they have a nationwide network of W2 drivers that go out directly to the lost location, collect the evidence, package it. Uh, they are the experts in how to handle um, evidence uh, to make sure that we preserve that in the condition that it's in and get it transported to where it needs to go. So those folks will go out, they'll collect the evidence and they'll bring it in. Uh, and then we have really two locations in the, in the nation that we can uh, direct that to, whether we're on um, Eastern or Western side of the United States. So, um, but once it kind of comes into the lab, uh, there's kind of a whole nother set of uh, steps that come into play that I'll let Adrian kind of talk to you a little bit more. Yeah, thank you, David. When, when it comes into the lab, as you can imagine, this is a really a controlled environment. We have uh, cameras everywhere that are pretty much watching the evidence so that it goes through our system. We have barcodes, we have labels. Uh, every single time it moves from a shelf, maybe it's in the warehouse, uh, maybe it moves to a shelf. Uh, my, my workstation where I'm able to actually analyze the evidence and try to determine the cause failure analysis. We really know uh, where the package is at every moment in the way. And then in addition, let's say uh, Dave was talking about a dishwasher. Let's say the dishwasher comes in and something simple, like let's say the supply lines might be uh, falling over the edge. Well, then you, well, the right thing to do, we go ahead and we wrap that dishwasher. We wrap it up with uh, plastic in order to be able to make sure that everything is contained. Uh, everything uh, stays with that dishwasher. And then we don't uh, change or alter the evidence in any way as it's going through our system. And really, so a, a typical day for me is is after I'm able to uh, request evidence from from the warehouse. At that point, it's then at my workstation, and then I'm able to uh, document. Uh, typically, using my camera 
is, is a wonderful way in order to document the evidence that comes in. We're able to determine things like what David talked about, the manufacturer. That's, you know, obviously one of the first key things that I'm looking for. Sometimes, and we always hope that it's as clear as, you know, big letters going across the item. This is the manufacturer. That's always nice. Uh, but then other times, maybe we do have to use our database associated with items we've seen in the press and what which one is the most similar. Uh, and then after trying to identify the uh, manufacturer, then uh, I start looking into is this failure mode readily seeable? Is there, is, is it something like a fracture where it's gapped open so large that you're able to see it easily? Or is this something that maybe I need to do uh, water pressure testing or uh, maybe air pressure testing? Typically during non-destructive, we keep it at a very low pressures, uh, something which is less than what you would even see in a normal residence, uh, trying to determine uh, where is the source and, and I'll be honest with you, readily, the, the source is readily apparent majority of the time. It's very easy in order to determine the source associated with these items. Uh, we go through, document the source readily. And then at that point, then it becomes the scientific method takes over. And I try to determine uh, using the same scientific method that I'm sure we all remember back from grade school. Uh, but then in litigation, it becomes, uh, you know, very exact and prevalent method in order to, to try to determine with my opinion what is the cause of failure uh some very we talked about in the previous uh podcast uh, typically we're in the something along the lines of a manufacturer's defect installation error abuse freezing uh, something like that is very often uh the final version associated with the the failure analysis that i perform on these kind of topics and then i go through uh if I'm needed to write a report, which is often the case, then I go through and write a report. If not, and maybe this is something that needs a little bit more handholding, uh, maybe it needs a verbal associated with it, that's fine too. We then get on the horn and uh, communicate with who we need to communicate with and uh, try to just basically say, hey, look, uh, it is what it is. That's that's what we try to determine. Uh, you know, the next steps, you know, for that can kind of vary, uh, can vary based off of what's the severity of the claim. It can based off, be based off of, um, um, you know, what type of um, relationships that carrier might have with, you know, the other parties and things of that nature is, um, you know, the next step might be, hey, we want to send a, a notice to whoever the responsible party is and see uh, their willingness to engage in this, uh, either positively or negatively and, and that sort of thing. But the other thing to look at is like when we talk about, again, handling the volume and the frequency of these types of failures, um, most people are challenged with how do I do this in an efficient manner? Um, and so for some carriers, uh, they can handle all of that themselves. Uh, a lot of times you'll want to group similar type of processes together. And so a lot of folks will take uh, do a partnership with other folks, uh, not us. Uh, they'll work with other maybe segregation firms, uh, recovery services, and other types of um, you know third parties to really assist with that. So it might be that if I'm a segregation department, uh, I might be really good at something uh, handling these one types of losses, but I'm not really good at these others. And so I might outsource those to somebody else. And there's a lot of different firms out there that you could use that would be able to assist with that. Um, but it might be that, it, let's say I'm a relatively small uh, insurance firm um, and I just don't have the internal resources to do that. 
Not only that, I probably don't have the frequency of failures to really try to get anything efficient off of that. And you probably won't, but that doesn't mean that you can't take it advantage of these uh, things in the marketplace. And that's where these other partners uh, would be able to assist you with that because they would have the volume to be able to do that. Um, and I will say, you know, everybody kind of specializes in certain different things. So like, you know, certain manufacturers have, have put work and effort into certain types of things. And so they're kind of known as that type of work and then so on and so forth. They each have their own little uh, specialization aspects. And so, you know, don't let that be um, a roadblock for you to be like, hey, you know, that's all well and good. We could do all that stuff on the front end. But, you know, if we get this report, we don't really know what to do with it next. You know, once you kind of go down that path and, and you you make those, um, you know, claims to whatever uh, party that might be, then you'll continue to work that. Uh, that other party will likely want to take a look at the evidence. They'll either do that at our facility here or um, if you want to relinquish the evidence to them, uh, you can do that. Just know that you may not get it back. Um, and so there, there's a variety of different things you can do there. Um, but then, you know, once they kind of take a look at it and they can assess, then um, then folks can kind of determine, you know, you know, what's reasonable uh, from that, that standpoint on from a financial standpoint, depending on what what the failure mode is, what's the characteristics about the, um, the claim and all that sort of stuff. And so there's there's a lot of different other aspects associated with the segregation uh, that, that's well uh, outside uh, the scope of the component testing lab. But really, it all kind of a lot of it comes into what is that failure mode and the cause of that failure mode. So, uh, you know, once you get into that, again, if it's large enough or if it's significant enough that it goes into litigation, um, you know, we are there uh, to really kind of support our findings. Uh, we'll, we'll defend what that is and, and provide expert witness testimony, whether that's um, just uh, going through interrogatories or whether it's going into a deposition or, or whether it's going into into trial. Um, and so our experts have really been through all that um, and they, they have experience in doing those types of things uh, and, and kind of going through that nature. So, and then at the end of the day, um, hopefully uh, everything would work out the way that it's supposed to work out um, uh, for all parties uh, and they continue to move forward. Um, and one of the things that, you know, Adrian mentioned uh, at some point is that, you know, this this whole process is actually a good thing. Uh, some people will, will say, oh, well, you know, this is, you know, you're making it more difficult for certain uh, manufacturers or installers or whatever else it might be or, or anything like that. And I would say, hopefully we're giving visibility to not only our customers and the insurance company uh, so that they can look and recognize what are the failures, what are the potential uh, risk that are out there and be able to identify that on the front end so that we can prevent it from ever occurring. And then the thing that's very visible that we've seen over the years of doing this for so long is that we we feel like we've helped change the way products are made. And so products are made better than they were, say, 20 years ago. Um, you know, they recognize the failure and say, hey, you know, we can't do this anymore. Uh, we've seen that with, you know, plastic um, molded injection parts. And so you know, manufacturers would, would do things a certain way and they'd be like, no, that's not any good. And they would come back. Um, so in a way, you know, I, I can imagine the struggles within the manufacturer where somebody's trying to save some money and another one's like, no, we need to do it like this. And so if they start having some issues, you know, the guy's like, I told you we should have done it like this. It's not as, you know, we can't 
crank out as many as we did before and we might have to pay a little bit more on cost, but we gotta, we'll make it up on the back end. And so um, it's able to you know, help that whole product life uh, design cycle uh, to make sure that products are made better moving forward, uh, which is good for everybody. It's good for the manufacturers. It's good for the insurance companies. It's good for the homeowners. Um, it, it's good for everybody. So Sure. Well, long story short, we are here to help. Uh, so please reach out if we can uh, be a, a part of any claim that uh, needs help. And, and again, a big thanks, Adrian, David, for join, joining us for this uh, mini episode. Um, during the next Savvy Adjuster podcast, my co-host, uh, Winnie Bowles, will moderate a discussion on the basics of hail damage in engineering and HVAC claims. If you're interested in obviously learning more about subrogation and plumbing losses or getting an expert assessment on product failure claims, uh, make sure to check our show notes for additional Alpine Intel resources. Thanks to all of you for listening, and we will see you next time.